we opened up too little in the grand scheme of things. And I started to realize that um, as I was going through this, I had a very supportive team. Then they wanted to be very supportive, but they didn't really know how to be supportive because people don't open up a lot. And I think that's that was one of the interesting interesting experiences that I had. I think, you know, in two sides of it, you know, there's one thing being vulnerable in front of, you know, your coworkers um, who you see every day. And, but it's also really important, and, and, I've, and I've learned this so much over the last six months, is that being vulnerable in front of your mentees is one of the best things you can do for them. From Cobalt Headquarters in San Francisco, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my good friend and colleague, Glenn Leifeit. Glenn and I are both members of the North American Advisory Council for ISC Squared, a group that advises ISC Squared on industry initiatives, views, and concerns. He is a Senior Security Program Manager for the Customer Security and Trust Program at Microsoft. Glenn has led security initiatives in the software, financial, and healthcare industries. He's provided C-level security guidance, led AppSec and PCI programs, and built enterprise-level static code analysis initiatives. He also co-founded TechMasters, a Toastmasters club designed to build technical speaker skills within the Toastmasters framework. Glenn, welcome to our podcast. It's great to be here. Definitely. We have so many good conversations. This time, we happen to have the record button on. Yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds like it's about time that we did that. Yes, yes it is. Glenn, <laughs> I'd like to start by asking you, how did you get into security? Um, when our audience looks you up on LinkedIn, they can see that you studied history, economics, urban studies, that you worked for your college radio station. Tell us about the steps that led you into technology and security. Sure. I think it's a, it's a long winding road. Um, as many people will learn in their careers, it's, uh, you know, where you start is not necessarily where you finish. And uh, so I'll give you the, the shortish version of it. So, I, you know, I did have a degree in urban planning and American history, um, also known as urban studies. And uh, I think uh, what I realized is that I really love technology, but, I, but at that point, I really didn't like math. Um, and so I steered very far away from that. But uh, one of the things I, I learned as I, as I went and did this is, and uh, started my career is that I, you need to work in something that you really enjoyed. Um, so after bouncing around in um, some customer service types jobs and things like that, I got an opportunity to be the first hired on employee at an um, internet service provider um, where I had to lose, learn everything, you know, everything from sales to, to leading a, a team to, you know, doing what, pretty much everything technically. Um, and uh, that was a, a, certainly a stretch, especially for being uh, only two years out of school and not knowing a whole lot about technology. And uh, then I bounced around in the technology field in many ways. Yeah, I was a developer. I've been an operations person. I've been uh, architects, you know, bouncing around throughout. Then at one point in time, um, a couple of companies ago, I ended up becoming a, a security architect. Um, 
as uh, part of it. I was just put it as an architect. We were all clumped into the same team and, and I had done some security stuff. So they kind of made me the security architect and I went and studied deep and uh, dug in deep to, to do that role. Did that for a year and then uh, that team got disbanded and I was saved um, through um, from a layoff um, and moved over to the information security team. And uh, that was one of the most probably bizarre yet influential moments of my career. So I thought it would be, uh, you know, I think if, if you don't mind, I'll, sh I'll share a little bit of that story. Um, but I think, please do. But I think it, it was really fascinating in the fact that, you know, many of us deal with uncertainty in the workplace and things like this. This was the kind of the ultimate in uncertainty. My t company had gone through several layoffs and things like that. And then my, uh, I got a call from, it was probably around Thanksgiving time from one of my ex-bosses um, who I had worked with in the company um, as I had bounced around from roles. And he's like, you know, would you ever consider coming work for me? I'm like, well, yeah, I liked working for you. Okay, great, cool. And that was the extent of the conversation. I'm like, cool, that's odd. Okay. Um, then a few weeks later, he, he pings me back again. He's like, yeah, um, so I've got a couple of options for you. One's kind of the contractor thing. I'm like, okay, well, this is odd. Something's got to be up because this this is just odd. And then the uh, week before Christmas, he calls me and he says, "So, well, don't if you get severance, don't spend any of it." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what is this?" Of course, my boss knows nothing of it. Nobody knows anything. He was just high enough in the organization to understand what was going on. And then our, we were had a mandatory closure for Christmas week. Um, and then uh, come January third. I did a very quick seven minute interview with our CISO to see if we could agree to work together. And then they said, well, don't, you know, spend any, uh, again, don't spend any severance. If you get it, we can't guarantee anything. And then I officially would, and my boss, my boss still didn't know. He thought I was nuts. Cause he was like, what, you're applying for a new role. Why? I don't understand this. This is great. This is weird. Um, and then later that day, they scheduled a uh, seven minute meeting for me or 10 minute meeting. Sorry. Uh, with HR and seven minutes before the meeting, it was canceled um, and I was transferred into information security. So it was a very bizarre set of circumstances, but I think it teaches you a couple of lessons, especially um, about building your network within a company and making sure that you really own that piece of, of your career um, because it, it can save you and it can you know, help you get other roles in other companies and all sorts of things like that. That is very cool. It's fascinating to me that in an economic environment where even in sort of the, you know, micro setting, you could say of one company, the company itself is saying facing layoffs. And at the same time, there's such a need for security that you're actually able to have a seven minute conversation with the CISO. Plus, of course, sort of standing on the shoulders of your established relationship, um, you know, that to me speaks strongly both to your skills, Glenn, mm -hmm. as well as sort of the need for great security people. Mm -hmm. Now, do you happen to remember, I'm so curious, and you may not remember, but I'm so curious to know if you remember, what did you and the CISO talk about during that seven minutes? It's pretty much uh, ingrained into my mind at this point because um, it was it was so short and whirlwind. You know, we actually talked about mostly our personal philosophies on work more than anything. 
you know, cause it wasn't about part of it was that she had some trust in me because of my previous work and, and things like that. She'd seen my resume. Um, and she knew that I was someone who learned and grew, you know, as even I bounced around in all these roles, but I was, I'm hundred percent self-taught. So that means every role I've had to learn and figure out and grow, which means in any role I can learn and figure out and grow. And as I can show that and prove that, the more you can prove that, the more the people are willing to take a chance on you. And the other piece was, you know, it's really important to be compatible with someone. She was uh, an amazing woman who, who does a, does a great job. And I think it was fascinating to, uh, to work with her because she ha- was very bold in leadership, but uh, took the, and was very supportive of her team and took some lumps, but she asked, asked, she asked quite a bit of you as well. And so she wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be somebody who, you know, drowned in, in the demands of the role. But I think it was, it was one of the best matches I could have had for, uh, for the beginning stages of my career. Cool. You and I had, while we were, you know, kind of prepping for today's podcast, a phrase that you used was jumping into security from the chaos of bouncing around. Uh, And I really like that description. I actually find that that is an accurate description Mm -hmm. uh, for many of the guests uh, that have joined us on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think one of the things I've always looked at, especially now that I look back, and you know, as we'll touch on a little bit earlier, I've my life seems to thrive on chaos. But the uh, as I look at you know all the different things I've done and and so forth, you know, back in the old days, you know, when my parents were there, it's like one job or two jobs. My dad was at four employers his entire career. I was done with that before I, before I even jumped into technology. And, and, and then many times after that, um, because the layout of technology and the layout of us learning and growing in the way that our career's direction is leading doesn't necessarily blend with where a company's gonna go. You can't just say, hey, you know, we're gonna spend, you know, spend a million dollars on a technology just so I can go learn it. You know, that's not really gonna happen. You know, most companies, you have to be able to say, hey, this is the direction I want to go. I better go learn something. I better grow and now prove that I can go do that with, with another organization that can afford to do what I want to go do. And then eventually you get to, a, sometimes you get lucky and you get into an organization that's large enough um, that it isn't that type of a conversation. But, you know, the vast majority of, of locations are like that. Yeah. I, I know that in your career, you have done so many really cool things. That is what inspired me to ask you when we were meeting in Seattle a couple of months ago to join me on the podcast. And one of the very interesting things that you've had an opportunity to work on is M&A work. Um, And I'm wondering if there is any not secret stuff that you can share with our listeners about that work. I find it particularly interesting because I feel like M&A is such a business driver, and I'm really curious to know your perspective on the role of security in an yeah. event like that. Yeah, it's, it's actually been one of the most fascinating things I've ever done um, I think it, from, a, from a couple of, of areas. I think when you, when you look at M&A work, it's first from a, from a uh, variety standpoint, there's nothing better. Because nobody says, hey, you know, I want to get acquired by Microsoft, so I'm going to choose that technology stack, and that's just all I'm going to work on, and hopefully they'll buy us. It's a crapshoot as to what we get, and every time it's, it's more bizarre than random um, as to what we see. 
you know, sometimes you'll end up with a 20 year old company that never grew past 20 people and has a ton of, of, uh, in-depth, deep knowledge on what they're doing. And then sometimes you'll get a startup that's, you know, winging it, that's a, you know, a combination of seven different platforms and they just, whatever that person knew is what they developed in and they had seven different people. So they developed in seven different things and then they plastered it together and built something. And then you kind of have to figure out what it is. And, and as our role from a security perspective is to understand where the holes are, what problems there are. So, cause we don't want to buy a breach. We don't want to buy a problem. We want to make sure that it's secure for our customers. If it's a product, you know, we want to make sure that all those things are in place from that perspective. And, and so that's kind of where a security role comes in play. The best part of that is it also forces us to understand the actual business context surrounding it. You know, I think it's, it's been really interesting to, to dive deep into, into different, uh, you know, acquisitions. You know, you, you talk about, okay, well, how do you secure an, a, you know, a, an application for business? Well, you know, we do business in the education market as well. So how do, how do I think about passwords when it comes to a kindergarten, kindergartner versus an executive versus, a, you know, or an adult, you know, they're vastly different thoughts and thought processes that you have to go through and, and work through. So you have to understand what those are and what the regulations around the space is and, and what are you really going to do with that product? Because there's the, oh, this is what the company does. And then there's the business's idea of, hey, this is what we could do with that company. They may or may not be the same thing. And so you have to kind of work through that as well. Um, so there's a vast amount of technology work that you have to do from a learning perspective. There's days where it's like, oh, you're going to have to learn, learn this technology this week. I'm like, oh, I've got, it's Monday and I've got till Wednesday. So I better go learn. And you dig as deep as you can into that item. And then you uh, go deal with that item from that perspective. But then you continue to learn on the business front as well. That's incredible. I want to ask you more about the method that you use to learn new things. Say it is Monday and you're preparing to learn a new technology that you are unfamiliar with and you need to know something about it in a couple of days. How do you go about doing that? I do a lot of research. I do a lot of um, POC work is, is the vast majority of it. I think the, the first is, you know, I'll, I'll start with the cursory, you know, just read up on the basics. So I understand, you know, Where's the paradigm shift and what is this? What does it relate to that I already know? Um, I think one of the things we always miss is we think it's something brand new, but most of the time it's a twist on something we know um, or something like that. So I'll always dig into to that. It's like, oh, it's like Java, but it's this other thing and we did this, but it's really just based on Java and we just add this little slice or it's, it's really based on this and we just added this protocol on top of something else. Or we, uh, you know, it's a, just a, a different style of database that, that uh, you know, but the same basics that you know from SQL will carry you through enough to get to the next step. Um, and then you, then you start looking at some of the intricacies of, you know, what it, you know, I kind of basically threat model the, in my head, not necessarily a huge threat model by any means, but I kind of threat model in my head or a whiteboard kind of, what does this technology do in comparison to those technologies? Uh, for example, from a security context, does it open up new holes? Does it um, create new risks? Those are things just inherent from the technology. You know, what is what is their patch footprint? Is it is it something that they have a ton of vulnerabilities, or is it something that you know that's that's publicly, you know, not terribly, you know, badly thought of from that perspective? I look at all of those types of things, and then I'll learn a little bit around the context of 
what they're doing and try to do some very, very basic crude uh, POC work if I can, providing I have licensing and all of those types of things. If I don't, then I just read as much about it as I can, and, um, and that's that's really kind of how I get up to speed. I think what the important part is in those two days, I don't have to be able to develop a program in a new language or anything like that. But what I do need to be able to do is really jump in, have that conversation with different people, how that technology works, where where vulnerabilities might exist, things like that. So a lot of that security landscape research is really important. Maybe even reaching out to people who may have worked with that technology before. I've done that as well. Uh, I've got a coworker here who's worked with a few technologies that I haven't, and, and there's a couple of times I've leaned on him to, to help me understand it a little bit better as well. So part of it's being open to, to asking questions because you're not alone, um, and especially in a role where you're designed to, to learn a lot. But the reality is, you know, if you look at it, there's more technology, information that's been delivered every day then or every year than in the previous year and all years combined. So the grand scheme of things is nobody's going to know everything. We have to continue to grow. We have to continue to learn. Well, cool. I like that. I, I think that acknowledging that nobody's going to know everything and recognizing the power of being able to learn something new, I think that's a really important theme. You know, uh, and I definitely hear that coming across in your story. Glenn, I would really like to know the story of how you co-founded TechMasters. That's an interesting story because I was one of the least likely people in the world to do that. Basically, what, what happened is, is I was, uh, an email came around. And it was actually a um, event, developer evangelist from Microsoft at the time back in uh, the Minneapolis, when I lived in Minneapolis. And he was emailing around. He's like, yeah, I do this Toastmasters thing. And we'd really like to get a bunch of people together to have to do this and, and stuff like that. And he did the demo meeting where he brought another Toastmasters club in and a bunch of, bunch of us showed up and, and tried to figure out what, what this thing was and what were they doing and why were they doing it and, and so forth. But what I knew is I, I needed to get better at speaking and, and so forth. So I, I knew that there was an investment I needed to make. That person came fairly highly regarded from other folks, so I had some trust in, in what he was going to do. And then after we, uh, we had that first meeting, I started to grasp, you know, how this could really help. And for those that don't know Toastmasters, it's, a, it's known as a public speaking club or learning how to speak, but it's also a leadership initiative. It helps you understand listening and, and speaking and leading. Um, it's a great opportunity to do things from spontaneous speaking to prepared speeches um, and preparing evaluations as well and, and learning how to evaluate things well. It was a huge, huge impact on everything I did. And as I started, though, we did, I think they did about three introductory meetings. And then it became time to, you know, through Toastmasters, there's these things you have to do to charter and become an official Toastmasters club and all this other stuff. And, and so we had to have a certain number of people. Um, and so we ran as a small club before we could be official club because we didn't have enough people. Um, and so I was really one of those core, I think it was core five of us that really every week we showed up, we kept doing it. And it took us about six months for us to gather and gather a group of 20 um, technologists that were interested that were doing it. Now, the funny part is by the time we hit, we had gone through that because we were a fairly small club, I'd actually done 15 speeches by the time I had gotten done. And the, the funny story about that is the first speech I'd made, the whole goal was not to pass out and not to puke. 
if I ran away, that was fine. But if I didn't pass out and I didn't puke, that was, that was the goal. And I survived and I made it and it worked and I kept getting better and better over time. And then after about nine months, I did my first um, conference presentation and I was thrilled to note there were only two people in the audience and one of them was a friend, but it was the, the landing place I needed and I've grown and now I've spoken to over 50 conferences. So it's, it's an amazing, op- it was an amazing opportunity. Yeah. And, and so you didn't puke, you didn't pass out. Did you run away? I did not run away. I got through my, I believe my, t- my time was supposed to be, three to seven five, or three to five minutes was the speech length. And I went four minutes and 50 some seconds. Um, so I, you know, even stuck it out through the whole thing. And, and I think one of the things I learned as I went through it was that it, you know, once you got started, it's that, that initial 10 seconds, that initial 20 seconds, that was brutal. But once I got past that, it was like, Oh, this is easy. I was, I've just done 30 seconds. What's another minute. And I just kept going forward um, from there. And, and I think the, uh, the other piece that I look at as I go after that was just, you know, always being willing to, to stretch yourself just a little bit. You know, I wasn't trying to, to be perfect. I wasn't trying to be, you know, the end all be all. There's plenty of stories where they roast me. And there's some video on YouTube where they actually roast me on um, how poor I was at the beginning, which is truly fair. Oh my it, was goodness. Absolutely, it was absolutely That's brutal. Awesome. And, Sounds so brutal. <laughs> yeah, it was part of an anniversary meeting um, that they had, but it was all about the fact that, that where I where I started and where I came from um, to where I am today. And I think that it actually turns out to be they've, they've got that beginning story, but they also have the story of you know well now I've speaking conferences, I speak at you know at, at events almost daily here at Microsoft. So the fact that I can do that now compared to where I was is a true miracle in a grand scheme of things, but it really was just patience and practice and doing it over again and over again and taking that feedback and, and seeing that it's, the feedback was actually constructive and, and ready to help me grow and build. Um, I think that's, that was one of the biggest pieces of this is that, you know, from a Toastmasters perspective, it's hard to, hard to grasp when you first get there, but all that feedback that they're, they're giving you is there to help you make it better, not, because they're mad at you or mean or anything like that. They're there to, to give you good supportive advice um, to grow. And it creates a nurturing environment. Turns out, you know, many Toastmasters call it the best meeting of the week, every week when they go. Because um, it's fun, it's interesting, um, you never know what you're gonna hear about. And the, uh, you know, the support, you're around other people who wanna be leaders and wanna grow their career. And when you're around like people, you have a like mindset. Very cool. And you and I are actually working on a show together. ISC Squared Security Congress is coming up in Orlando in October. And you are actually taking your public speaking to kind of a whole new level. Um, and you've, you've shared with me um, that you're sort of, you know, learning in another way about what it means to bring your humans to work. Um, Specifically, you are preparing a talk called, When My Life Went to Hell, What I Learned About Risk. Yes. Now, Glenn, I want people to come see you talk in October at ISC Squared. The question that I have for you for today's podcast is actually – 
what has it been like for you to decide to open up in this different way? You know, it's not a technical topic. Uh, it's a human topic. Uh, and risk management, as it turns out, is sort of a human experience. Um, but tell me about, you mentioned um, as we were preparing for today's session, um, a particular intern uh, who said, thank you, Gwen, thank you for your vulnerability. Uh, when you were doing kind of a dry run of the talk uh, for an internal group, uh, and in fact, she said to you that it was the most influential hour that she's had during her internship. What has that experience been like for you? I think it's it's been absolutely fascinating, crazy, scary, <laughs> and, and something very uncomfortable. But I'm so glad I did it. I think the um, just a, a little prelude. I'm we've been going through some some personal chaos in our life. Um, in terms of my son, my son got really ill um, due to environmental issues, um, and we had to take care of the environmental issues and the health, uh, which caused us to uh, leave our house for over a month and, and all sorts of chaos, you know, rained. Um, and it took, it's been about eight months now um, since the beginning of that, and we're, uh, you know, still working through recovery um, from that perspective, health and uh, emotionally. But I think as I looked at opening up, one of the interesting things was is that we opened up too little in the grand scheme of things. And I started to realize that when, um, as I was going through this, I had a very supportive team, but my team didn't know, then they wanted to be very supportive, but they didn't really know how to be supportive because people don't open up a lot. Um, and I think that's, that was one of the interesting, interesting experiences that I had. I think, you know, choosing to, to give this presentation, you know, I chose to give it to my internal team because A, they had some context, so I, and I felt comfortable being around them to be vulnerable because you do have to establish that. You know, in two sides of it, you know, there's one thing being vulnerable in front of, you know, your coworkers um, who you see every day, and, but it's also really important, and, and, I've, and I've learned this so much over the last six months, is that being vulnerable in front of your mentees is one of the best things you can do for them. And that conversation really resonated with me when I, when I got that from that intern. And, and part of that came down to the fact that we tend to block out and we talk about all the positives that happened. Um, or, you know, if, if it's about kids, the wives talk about all the positives about the kids, the dads talk about all the, the frustrations and then you mix the two and then you got an actual picture. You know, you look at the, uh, the, the fact that we, gloss over things and, and all of that. People aren't understanding where that impact is or where your viewpoint's coming from. And I think my viewpoint has drastically changed in the last nine months, um, just in terms of what risk looks like. I now understand why things, sometimes in organizations that you just can't get the needle to move. And I understand that a lot more now um, as part of that. And and uh, just to, to mix that intern here in here again, I think one of the interesting things that she said was the fact that everybody else, it felt like everything was perfect for them other than the thing you were asking mm. about. And they never saw the fact that there's ups and downs in life. You know, it was completely glossed over by everybody when they, when she met with them, when they talked, you know, she's, she's working with somebody, you know, probably six hours, seven hours a week, you know, a, on a regular basis on her project. And 
she doesn't have a clue as to anything that she's struggling with or anything that's going. And I know you don't have to show everybody everything, but the fact that life is hard and, and there's stuff that goes on and sometimes it's the kids and sometimes it's your landlord and sometimes it's your utility company, or sometimes it's your house or sometimes it's just a, you know, someone down the hall that's driving you crazy. All of those things are things that we are really um, concerned about making sure happen, but we want to make sure that, that as a, as an intern, they get, they, they get to grow as part of that. And the only way for them to grow and compare themselves and to learn from things is to see things that are successful, but also see things that are hard. I think that's so cool. I've come to learn that mentoring people is something that really fills you up. Uh, and it's something that's very important to you. Uh, and for my last question for today's podcast, I'd like to ask you if you could go back 20 years in time and mentor yourself, what would you say to him? What would you say to Glenn 20 years ago? I think the first thing um, I would talk about most likely is the fact that, you know, I've had imposter syndrome for the vast majority of my career. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's really easy when you come here to Microsoft to, to, to reinstantiate that. Because like, you know, I, I found a problem and it's like, well, just call the guy who wrote it. Well, yeah, he's just down the hall. What? Huh? Oh, I guess it is here. Um, but, you know, so you're surrounded by a lot of amazing people. That doesn't mean that what you are doing isn't amazing. It just means that you have an individual view and that viewpoint is based on your skill and your, and your experience. Nobody can know what your experience was. So always be very confident in what your experience was. You know, I think that's one of the things that I've learned over, to, over time is that, you know, really understanding that and having a lot more confidence in yourself is so important. And it's not about being cocky. By all means, you need to humbly do it. Um, you don't want to be the, you know, that person that, that is, you know, over cocky in the, you know, so that everybody else gets imposter syndrome. You should be supportive and helpful. But as you're supportive and helpful, be confident in yourself as you're doing that. I learn more from my mentees sometimes than, I, than, than they learn from me. But it's all based on experience and what they've had and what they've gone through. You know, it's, it's that shared, what have we gone through? That's where the learnings are. And yeah, I've had some bumps on the road and we all have, but I'm, I'm better for it. You know, I wouldn't be the same person if I, if I wouldn't have gone through that 72 hour downtime that I went through with, with a couple of coworkers. Now we're bonded for life Ooh. because we went through a 72 hour downtime yeah. and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. <laughs> but, but you know, the next time I end up going through a 36 hour one, I'm like, eh, that's nothing. Okay. You know, it, 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 it completely changes your mindset on things. You know, it's, it's like, you know, and going back to my speaking thing, you know, I don't know if I've shared this story. So I, when I was doing improv comedy classes and I fell off the stage, honked my head against the concrete wall, started spewing blood. Oh my goodness. It was a total mess. <laughs> oh and of goodness. course, it's, it's a comedy thing. So everybody thought I was joking at first. So I'm leaning over. Oh, no. And until they saw, actually saw blood, nobody, everybody thought it was a joke. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, and no, I'm just not that good of an actor. It was real. Uh, <laughs> but the, but oh, now I get up on no. stage and I'm like, well, what can happen? Yo, mm. <laughs> what else is there? <laughs> I'm fine. You know, oh, I, you know, oh, I, I don't have a script. Eh, no problem. Oh, slides aren't working. No problem. You know, those are small compared to ending up in the emergency room. Yeah. And I just remember that, you know, all those things are, there's things that could go completely haywire. And even if they do, you survive. And, mm. I, think, and I think that's one of the things that I've, 
I've really learned. I mean, even going through this last six months where everything's been totally beyond bizarre, as we've, you know, we've talked about. And I think that, um, you know, we're constantly in a new normal about every week to two weeks in our family where it's like, oh, that normal that we thought we finally got settled in. Oh, it's changing sometimes for the better, sometimes not for the better. And we're continuing to adjust and we go through that. And, but one of the things we did was, you know, we've learned and we've grown from that, you know? Yeah. Oh, it was a struggle, but it was a lot more of a struggle mm-hmm. a month ago or two months ago because mm-hmm. we were trying to figure out what that new normal was. And, and even coming to the terms with that, it was a normal. Yeah, I think because a lot of times we look at a circumstance and we look at, oh, you know, that work circumstance or that life circumstance, it's something bigger than, than a normal and it's, it's just bizarre and I just can't handle it. What we started looking at and I'm starting to understand is even a week can be a new normal for you. And mm-hmm. focusing on what your routine is, focusing on what's normal and focusing on growing and figuring things out. You know, whether that's at work or whether it's at home, you know, we're, we're all going through something. Um, a lot of people are really good at hiding it um, and not willing to share, but we're all going through something. Um, and it's so important to, to do that and, and be impactful that way. I think that's very true. And I we think I actually answered your question. You did. You did. And so much more. Um, and Glenn, I just want to say thank you so much for your perspective and for your wisdom and for your generosity and sharing yourself with us today. Um, Thank you, Glenn. Thank you. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt.io, a pen testing as a service company. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you enjoy podcasts. And don't forget to say hello. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.